Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Andy, the youth pastor here. I was tempted to turn up a bit late, drinking a cup of coffee, wearing a hoodie, just to emphasize that I'm the youth worker here. Because all youth workers turn up late, drink coffee, and just hang out all day in hoodies. That's not true in case you were questioning whether you should keep tithing to the church. Anyway, it's great to be here this morning. We're talking about watching prayer, and we're in a series of looking at prayer. Carl kicked off a series talking about how we need to understand that God is the Father, have intimacy with the Father, and that leads to the Lord's Prayer and how we understand the Father as Daddy. Then we looked at the spiritual battle we're in, how the battle is secure, it's been fought and won, but we're still in the battle and we need to wear God's armour to fight the battle here and now today. And then last week we looked at contending prayer, how we need to contend for situations, contend for people believing that God does and wants to and will break in and transform lives, transform situations. And today we're looking at watching prayer. And if you're anything like me, I wasn't quite sure what that was, but hopefully by the end of the time together we'll have a clear understanding of our duty and call to watch and pray. I want to start with a story about an evangelist called Billy Graham, who many of you will have heard of. It's estimated in his life he spoke to one billion people through TV, through media, through sermons. There's one situation where he spoke to 1.1 million people sitting on an airstrip. He had a phenomenal ministry. Many lives, many people came to know Jesus through his ministry. And there was a story about the beginning of one of his crusades. The night before the crusade started, he had his team together and he said, guys, we can't just be saying the right things. We've got to be living this out. We can't just be telling people about Jesus from a stage if we're not determined to do it on the streets in the everyday lives. We've got to be interceding for people. We've got to believe that God wants to transform lives. He wants to transform communities. He wants to bring people to know Jesus. He wants his hope to be realized in every single person. He wants to transform the world we live in. He wants to transform society. So on the way back, two of his team were driving back, and it was late, it was cold, it was in a dangerous, dark part of Dallas. They were driving back, and they saw a guy cowering on a bench. He was cowering, shivering on a bench. And they were driving past, they didn't really catch a glimpse of him. They thought, it's late, we're tired, it's a dangerous part of Dallas, we can't stop, and we've got to get back home. We've got an early start tomorrow, it's dangerous, we might get in trouble. Anyway, they thought, no, 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 Billy's just been saying, we need to make sure our faith and our action match up. We can't just be saying the right things. We've got to be living this out too. But anyway, they carry on driving, thinking, no, no, it's cold, it's dark, it's late. We need to get back. We've got an early start tomorrow. And after two or three times, they eventually drove back to find that it was Billy Graham on his knees praying over the people of Dallas. He is a man who had incredible influence, who estimatedly spoke to one billion people in his life. Millions of people became Christians because of his ministry. It had phenomenal impact, but it started on his knees. It started as him interceding for God to change lives. One of the things I think we get desperately wrong as Christians is this. You see, our starting point is us. Our starting point is us. We go through life, and we face a difficult situation, and we say, God, God, I need you now. I need you to come and help me with this. I really need you. And we pray, and God, God, come and help me. And God comes and helps us. Then we carry on and push God aside a bit. I know I'm guilty of that. We push God aside a bit. And then we need a big decision. We need God to help us make a decision. We've got God, come and help me. Give me some wisdom here. Give me some direction. And God helps us and then we carry on 
moving often, forgetting him and coming back to him when we need him. But our starting point needs to be God. Every day we need to go, God, God, where are we going today? What is your plan today for the workplace? What is your plan for my university? What is your heart for the people I'm going to meet? How do you want to build your kingdom here today? How are we going to work together to transform this world? How are we going to bring Edinburgh, bring Scotland, bring my workplace, bring my university back to Jesus? God wants to work in partnership to build his kingdom. He wants his reign, his mind, his understanding, his heart to transform lives, to transform communities. I remember I was going through a difficult time at the London School of Theology when I was there, and one of my friends said to me, he said two things. He said, first of all, get over it, which I thought was a bit unpastoral and a bit unnecessary. But he also said, he said, Andy, your problem is you're looking how big your problems are and not how big your God is. You're looking how big your problems are and not how big your God is. You see, we can look at the situations we come across and think this is huge, this is massive, this is broken, this is messy, this is difficult, rather than looking how big and almighty the God who created everything is. We lose our perspective. We look at the brokenness in the world around us and think that it's beyond God, but we focus on the problems, not the size and power and magnificence of God. We need to have a recognition of how big and powerful God is. Connie Ten Boom said, if we look within, we'll be depressed. If we look to the world, we'll be distressed. But if we look above, we'll be at rest. If we look within, we'll be depressed. If we look to the world, we'll be distressed. But if we look above, we'll be at rest. There's some research coming out currently, and it talks about how the unchurched people were asked, what do they want from the church? So the unchurched people were asked, what do you want the church to do? And the answers really were around work with children, work with young people, work with families. They wanted social action. They wanted us to be good people. And that's all good stuff. Understand, that's good stuff. But what the broken home needs is Jesus. What those in poverty need is Jesus. What the difficult situations in society need is Jesus. What those going through abuse need is Jesus. People need Jesus. We can't just be people who are do-gooders. We need to be people who believe that Jesus wants to come and transform situations. God wants to use us. As we intercede for God, as we intercede to God, he will intervene. He wants us to know his heart, to know his will, to know his power for situations. He wants to come and transform lives and transform communities. You see, in the beginning of time, right at the beginning, God created a world where man was walking in perfect relationship with God. And one day, Jesus' followers will once again walk in perfect relationship with God. But we're in the middle now, and there's brokenness, there's sin, there's suffering. But God wants to intervene. He wants to come down. As we intercede, he wants to intervene. He wants to come down and transform situations, transform communities, transform our schools, transform the situation we're in society. There's a guy called Nehemiah in Scripture in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was a prophet, and he saw God's spiritual home, Jerusalem. It was in a mess. It was in a difficult situation. And he said, this isn't what it should be. This isn't what it could be. This isn't right. God's spiritual home, Jerusalem, shouldn't be like this. This is not right. This is not good enough. And it says he's on his knees night and day, praying and fasting and weeping because he wanted God's spiritual home, Jerusalem, to be restored. And we see through that, we see as he's on his knees, from grandchildren to grandparent working together, different tradesmen working together, people working together in incredible, only miraculous unity. 
We see people understanding what it was to really love people. See, Jesus didn't love because it was a good thing to do. He loved because he was love. And as we commune with the Father, as we spend time with the Father, we understand what it is to really love. The people loved, the people really cared for people. And Nehemiah had a dream. He had a dream for a better Jerusalem. And God honored that dream, but it started on his knees. It started in prayer. It started with him saying, God, it's got to be you. This is a mess. If you don't turn up, we are stuffed. We are desperate. We need you to come down. We need you to do this. It's down to you. I've been reflecting a bit recently on a story about the actress Sarah Douglas. She was in a fictional cartoon film. I'm not quite sure. My knowledge of films is pretty poor, so bear with me. But she was holding up a bus attached to a crane. Now, she wasn't actually holding up the bus attached to the crane. But the way the visuals and the way the media portrayed it was, there's a rope coming out of her arms, and the crane was holding up the bus. So it looked like she was holding up the bus. And she said after a few hours, her arms started to get tired. And she said the bus fell off the crane. Actually, the bus fell off the crane. And for a split second, she said she tried to pull this bus back up. She actually thought she could pull this bus back up because she was so in character. She really believed she could pull that bus back up. And as we spend time with God, as we commune with God, we start to believe the impossible dreams can happen. We start to believe that the journey together can happen. We start to believe that he can pull up that bus. As we're on our knees before him, we say, God, God, only you can change that life. Only you can transform that community. But we start to believe it because we start to understand his mindset, his heart for people, his will. We understand what he wants to happen. And we know that he's a God of love. And he wants to build his kingdom in and through us as we are on our knees submitting before him. We were asked, I was asked this morning to talk about watching prayer. And the term comes from Isaiah and other places where it says, but I've posted watchmen on your walls. And the purpose of these watchmen was to, if we could just have the next slide, was to stand on the top of these watchtowers. And they'd have really two roles. They would look out and see any danger coming. They would be from a big vantage point so they could see any danger coming. And they would also know the ins and outs of the city. So they would understand what was going on in the city and the community. They would know everything about the city because they could look down and know the different relationships going on. They would know how the relationships were happening and what was going on in that particular community, in that particular city. So then they could warn of oncoming danger. So they could specifically pray, saying, actually, there's danger coming. We need to pray against this. So it's saying to us, we need to specifically pray about oncoming danger. And they also knew the ins and outs of the city, so they knew specifically what the needs of the community were. So we need to be able to pray specifically into our city, specifically into our government, specifically into our schools, saying, God, you've got to change the situation. It's not good enough. This abortion isn't good enough. This euthanasia is just not good enough. These situations aren't right. They shouldn't be like this. You've got to change. Praying specifically because of the situation. It was being the bridge between the world we live in and the God above, saying there's a gap here. There's a gap between God and the world we live in. One day that'll be no more. One day we'll be in perfect relationship with God, but for the time being there's a gap. And we need to speak what God's saying to the people. What is God saying to Edinburgh? What is God saying to us as a church? What is God saying to our school? What is God saying to our community? And equally saying, God, God, this situation at school is not right. This situation in my family isn't right. I need you to turn up. I need you to change that. I need you to come, because if you don't, we are stuffed. If you don't turn up, I'm absolutely, I haven't got a chance. So there's a gap between 
for God and the, God and the world we live in it's interceding between that gap as we intercede God intervenes John Stott says our duty is to hold a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another so we can look at the world and the newspaper understand what's going on in today's society understand what's going on in the world we're living in and actually say no no God's got a better plan that's not how it should be that's not how it could be God wants to do something here God wants to change the situation God wants to make something happen God wants to come in one of the things I also think we need to be aware of and this is a bit of a tangent but when we look at the prophecies throughout the Old Testament we see that we see that some of them were warnings some of them were dangerous beware of this they weren't particularly easy prophecies to come. And at times, our responsibility will be to speak difficult words into lives, to speak difficult words into the church and to others. Because God wants to warn us, not because it's unsafe for us, because actually the best thing is, is if we understand his warning, if we understand his plan, then we understand what it is to follow him and to be his followers. We need to intercede. We need to stand in the gap between God and the world we live in. If you'll turn with me to Luke 2, chapters, yeah, Luke 2, verses 25 to 35. Luke 2, 25 to 35. So Simeon here is basically dedicating his whole life to Christ's return. He gives everything to Christ's return. He's praying, desperately seeking for God to return. And this is a day that he presented with Jesus. We read Luke 2, 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought him a child, Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in the arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause a falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The first thing we see in verse 25 is that he waited. He waited for years and years for the arrival of Jesus. He knew that the hope for nations, the hope for the world was the Messiah. The only answer, the only solution was Jesus. He waited and waited and waited. And we also see alongside the waiting, it was a determination. Verse 29, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He was now ready to die because his whole life had been about Jesus' arrival. He was determined to see Jesus come, to see Jesus come and restore society, to see Jesus, the hope of the world, come and transform the situation. The first thing I want us to say is that he was persistent in his prayers. He was persistent in his prayers. I remember Adele and I were in South Africa a few years ago. We took some young people. And 
we were there to build a house for a particular community. So me and about 25 young people and two or three youth leaders built this house for the community. And they needed a foreman. Now, understand that I'm not particularly good idea why. And when they suggested me, my wife Adele said, you can't even bleed a radiator, which is unfair but fairly accurate. And I said, I'm the sort of person, I'll give anything a go, I'll give that, try, try that. I'm useless at DIY, but why not give it a go? So I was foreman for building this house. I'm absolutely hopeless at DIY. But what would happen is the guy who heads up the project would come to me every two hours, would come to me every so often and say, Andy, what you need to do now is you need to get some people building this particular wall, some people putting these doors in, some people putting these bricks here. Understand if you're a construction engineer, that sounds pretty lame, and it probably is. But what would happen is he would give me instructions for two hours. I would then relay it to the different guys, the different groups, and then they would build the particular parts of the house, and then two hours later he'd give me more instructions. And you need to put some nails here, you need to put some windows here, you need to make sure this foam goes here. And I would relay that to the teams. And it was such an illustration for me of how God works in our lives. Sometimes it feels like we're waiting for ages. Sometimes it feels like we're really determined, but God, you're not doing anything. But we just need to keep doing bit by bit, brick by brick. We want God to break out in our missional communities. We want him to break out in our schools, in our different families. We want him to do incredible things. We want lives to be changed because of Jesus. But it's bit by bit. We just need to keep going. Simeon and Anna were praying for years. And it says they were likely to be old in age, and only in their later years did, did this Jesus arrive. We need to believe that Jesus will arrive in our situation. Jesus will turn up, but we just need to keep going faithfully. And we don't know how many bricks we need to put in place before the situation turns around, but we need to be persistent in our prayers. Second, we need to focus on God's power. In 32, we see a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon knew how big and powerful this God was. Just like my friend Dave said to me, you need to realize how big your God is. He understood that this God was far bigger than him and that he would be the hope to nations. He would be the Messiah. He would change the world we're living in. And he knew that as he waited for him, he was big and powerful. And thirdly, we look at understanding God's perspective. We read verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. This is the son of God, yet there's so much they don't know about him. He's so much bigger than they could ever thought. And his perspective is so much larger than they could see. And as we intercede, as we step in the gap and intercede for situations, God comes to us and speaks to us. And we start to understand his perspective. We start to understand his heart. We start to understand what his will is for a particular context. We start to understand his voice, his prophetic insight into lives. But we need to dwell in his presence and say, God, we need your perspective on this. What is it you want to say? I don't quite understand this, Lord. You've got to turn up. You've got to give us your perspective. Show us the way. As we dwell in his presence, as we deliberately wait for him, as we spend time on our knees before him, he shows us his perspective. He shows us what it is. We understand his heart, his perspective on situations. Guys, I want this morning just to, for us to dare to believe that God wants to change the different parts of society, to change the families we're in, to change the communities we're involved in, to change the schools, for us to actually believe that God wants to do that. 
I want us to think in years to come on the 25th of January 2015. We dared to believe, we dared to dream as Nehemiah did for a better world that God wanted to build his kingdom in and through us. As we were on our knees, as we interceded, he intervened. In the most desperate and hopeless situations, I want God to actually say to us this morning, keep going, keep putting one brick before the other. I want us to have faith that we can hold up that bus to actually say, God, it's down to you. I want you to hold up that bus because I believe that we can do this together. And it's impossible, it's absolutely ridiculous, but we can do this. I want us to believe that God wants to change individual lives. He wants to change communities. For those of you who at the vision night on Monday, Steve McLeister shared a story about Portobello, which I just thought was really encouraging and really powerful, the particular mission or community there. He talked about how they went around with families and children to pray for different situations. And one of the children came to an area of grass and said, we want, I want to pray for swings. I want to pray there'll be a play park here. This is a young child saying, I want, to, I want swings and I want a play park here. And within a matter of weeks, swings and a play park were there. The council provided swings and a play park. God cares about every detail. He cares about everything. And he also wants us to have childlike faith. And let me ask you this morning, have you lost your faith in prayer? Have you lost your faith in prayer? I think sometimes as we grow older, we often grow wiser and we actually, at the cost of our faith, we need to believe that we can have childlike faith and to actually believe that anything can be transformed by the power and beauty and majesty of God. God wants to change situations, he wants to transform communities, he wants to transform different areas of society. But he also cares passionately about the individual. D.L. Moody, at the front of his Bible, have the names of a hundred different people that he prayed for, prayed for every day. He would pray for these hundred people every day. At his funeral, 96 of these people were, had become Christians. The other four became Christians at his funeral. He prayed for those people every day. Who are we interceding for? Who are we desperate that Jesus comes to meet? Who's at the front of our Bibles that we're praying for? God, God, this situation's horrible. This person needs to know Jesus. It's down to you. I'm going to pray for this person every day until you break in and break into their life and let them know the hope which is in you. I believe God has a, a special call on Central that we would be people who speak into other churches, into other communities, into other nation. Now, it might seem a bit pretentious and a bit obnoxious, but we have a God-given responsibility, I believe, to be a voice across this nation, across the churches, to speak prophetically, to intercede on behalf of the churches and say, God, you've got something to say to these people. You've got something to say to the government. What is it? What is it you want to say? Because we are on our knees before you intervening as, as we intercede you will intervene let me just pray for us Father we thank you that you love us and we thank you that you've done so much for us and I pray that this morning if nothing else we will know how big and powerful and loving you are I pray that we'll be people who are on our knees, dedicated to worshipping you, but also praying to you. We pray out, for a, out from out of the heart of worship, where will be a heart of prayer, where we believe you want to transform the most dark, messy situation, that you want to come into particular lives and let them know the hope in you.
Holy Spirit, come this morning. As we think in our heads and our minds of particular situations now that are just so far from you, or individuals that are just so in need of you, we pray that we will be committed to pray for them, but equally that you will come and intervene. You will come and turn those situations on their head. Holy Spirit, help us to know what our individual and role as a, our individual role and role as a community is. Help us to know what this looks like for us. We pray that we'll be people who are on our knees, people who intercede for you, people who stand in the gap between the world we live in and the God who is above all. And I pray that we'll speak on behalf of you, even when it's difficult. I pray that we'll speak on behalf of you. And equally, we'll lay the world's challenges and struggles and problems before you and desperately believe that you want to come in and change them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.